This is Relatively Prime, publication in the mathematical domain. I am Samuel Hansen. Hello and welcome to Verify, Revise, Repeat, the second episode of the Relatively Prime miniseries, The Cycle of Mathematics. In the first episode, Duncan Watts told us all about the process of developing a brand new idea of mathematics and bringing it to the world. On this episode, we are going to focus in on one of those steps that Duncan spoke about in that first episode. When I came in the next morning, I had an email from the editor of, <coughs> of Nature saying, we're interested, but you know we have some reservations and we want you to, to send us a revision. What had happened is that they had sent it to two reviewers, and one of them, who turned out to be Jim Collins at Boston University, he had really liked it, but he had a lot of questions and, and, and constructive criticism. And then the second reviewer had obviously not liked it at all, but had written one of the shortest reviews I've ever read. He said, I have no idea what this paper is about, but it shouldn't be published in Nature. And so this was obviously a very negative review and very easily they could have rejected it on those grounds. Certainly if the reviewer number two had written a few more sentences about why he thought it was such a bad paper, we would have been rejected, but he didn't. And so the editor in her wisdom decided that she didn't have enough information and so she sent it to a third reviewer and he loved it. That was what got us back on track. In fact, in a great cosmic coincidence, Steve Strogatz actually posted those peer review notes they received just after the last episode was released. And you can go look at them right now. I will make sure to include a link to them in the show notes on relprime.com. And as you have no doubt guessed, and correctly I might add, this episode is going to focus on the hidden side of mathematical research, all the painstaking effort behind the scenes to bring you those theorems and proofs you crave. This time, we are talking editorial work and peer review. Okay, okay, it's not the sexiest topic in the world, but it is an incredibly important one. The editorial and peer review process is an essential step in the cycle of mathematics. Even in the current world of rapidly changing publication models, we still need people who verify the validity of a result as well as its relevance. And to start our exploration, let's begin in the same place as a new piece of mathematics would. There's a main editor who receives all the submissions, and the editor then look at sort of the expertise on the editorial board and and then say, okay, um, this paper seems to be in your area of expertise. Can you now take the paper and manage the whole review process? That was Rachel Kuski. When this interview was conducted, Rachel was a professor at the University of British Columbia and is now the chair of the mathematics department at Georgia Tech. And Rachel has plenty of editorial experience. I'm on the editorial board of SIAM Journal of Applied Math, and in the past I've been also on SIAM Review. I'm also on the editorial boards for European Journal of Applied Math, the Institute for Math and Applications in England. And I'm pretty sure that's only a partial list. 
But how about we get back to what editors do and hear what it means to manage a review process? First, look at the paper, make sure it is a good fit for the journal and and, uh, in reasonable state to go out for review. Then find good reviewers for it and then make sure that the whole review process proceeds in a timely manner and also appropriate for making sure it has a good thorough review and that you get several reviews and so that the process is as, as fair as possible. So there you go. One editor assigns it to another editor who glances over the paper and sends it off to some other person who actually looks at it. Seems easy enough. He's so easy. Oh, 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 just saying there's there's more to it than that. It isn't just a quick glance. Why? Why am I denigrating the work of editors after talking up how important they were in my intro? Uh, Well, all of those are fair points. I guess guess we should go a bit deeper. So usually a journal will have uh, specific statements about what sort of paper it wants to have. So for example, in Siam Journal of Applied Math, they like to have papers that both bring new mathematics, but also, you know, are related to an application. And and so the first thing you do is to say, well, does the paper fit that mission of the journal? You know, and then secondly, you would scan it to kind of get a sense of, is it well written? Does it seem like it kind of hits the main points? Kind of get an idea of what are the main results of the paper to get a sense of, does it seem like it's really bringing something new to the field? So, you know, there's a number of just very basic things uh, that you would check before sending it out for review. Well, that certainly is a lot more work than I was originally giving Rachel credit for, and all of it before the review process. In fact, there's still one more thing an editor would have to do before some mathematics goes off to get peer-reviewed, and that is actually choosing a referee to do the reviewing. According to Rachel, this can range from referees an editor already knows, to mathematicians referenced in the paper, to other recent authors of similar mathematics. In the end, though, it all sort of boils down to this. Generally, I'm just wanting to find people who have been working in the area, have published some things recently, and and will be relatively close to the, the topic of the paper. Once the referees are chosen, it's up to them to do three things. Check the validity of the mathematics. Determine whether the mathematics is new and original. Determine whether the mathematics is worth publishing because it can be new and original, but not worth publishing. That was William Ted Mahavier, professor of mathematics at Lamar University, as well as referee of papers from all over the mathematical spectrum. I have done reviews for a number of journals. I've reviewed in pure mathematics, applied mathematics, uh, mathematics education. Now, of course, referees don't just automatically say yes every single time an editor asks them to review a paper, no matter how much editors wish that they would. Sometimes they simply don't have the time or they don't have adequate knowledge of the mathematical area which was being written about. But once a referee agrees to review a paper, they will endeavor to complete the three things on Ted's checklist, and then they'll write up their report and send it back to the editor. And that report will suggest the editor accept the work outright, which is exceedingly rare, reject the work, 
or often it's the referee reports require revision it will suggest publish but subject to these typographical errors or perhaps even subject to uh correction of a given proof. The ball is now back in the editor's court. It's up to them to communicate the result of the reviews to the authors. This doesn't mean that the referees' jobs are dumb, though. If the reports requested revisions, they're going to be seeing that paper again. I'll send it back, because usually even if it's a minor revision, a referee would have said, well, I want the person to clarify this point, or I want them to give a better context or give a better explanation. And so, you know, I'm, I feel like they're in a better place to decide if the explanation that's been added is really up to what they were expecting. Then the referees will review it again. And if the revisions match their requirements, they'll tell the editor the mathematics is ready for publication. This, of course, assumes that all the different referees agree in their reports. As you remember, this was not the case for Duncan and Steve's work on small world networks. And when that happens, when referees disagree, it's up to the editor to decide what to do. I would say sometimes, you know, the referees can come back with completely different recommendations. And then you have to look very carefully at those uh, responses and either say, well, is one right and one wrong or did one miss something or... Do you need to have a, another review or um, try to figure out uh, some way to make sense of that situation? Even when a paper is rejected, there's still work for an editor to do. There's some correspondence that, you know, has to go on in making it clear, you know, wh why there was the decision that there was. And, and sometimes that gets referred back to the main editor, depending on, on what the situation is. During this whole discussion of this process, we've been assuming that nothing has gone wrong. That's not exactly representative of the real world. I once reviewed a paper that was the concatenation of two papers by another author who I contacted and asked, are you aware of this? That is a rather extreme example, though. Something like this is much more likely to happen. It's not uncommon for referee reports to be biased or, or wrong. I saw an example once of an author who wrote back uh, when I was serving as an editor and said, here are 16 incorrect statements made in the one and a half page referee report. So even uh, you have to dig into it very carefully or find another referee if it's not in your area to try to determine who's right. And that's you're now as an editor, you're now the judge and the jury because this is affecting someone's tenure decision or promotion decision or publication record. So you have a certain ethical duty to do due process. And so, yes, I have seen referee reports go terribly wrong. But really? The biggest problem for the whole reviewing process is one that's just not that surprising. Well, I think you sort of hinted to one of the biggest ones, which is getting prompt reviews. Ted gave me some insight into why this is such a problem. The volume is sufficiently large. There's so many journals that it's not, and the pressure to publish on new faculty is so great that there's just a huge amount coming out and and 
it's impossible to get it all refereed well. The fact that doing a good job of it doesn't support your career in any way doesn't help, right? Uh, my career is supported by, to be bluntly honest about academia, bringing in money to the university, publishing papers in peer-reviewed journals, and doing an adequate job of my teaching, but keeping the administrators happy through a significant amount of service. Notice that no one of those things included refereeing papers because that is listed under service, but it's a tiny, tiny bean in a large pool. So the amount of time that goes into doing a quality referee report is in no way comparable to the credit one gets towards tenure or promotions. I have heard and read similar things about the invisible and unpaid labor of peer review from other mathematicians and academics of all stripes. Given the important role that peer review plays in the world of scholarship, it's something that our community needs to address. Because if we don't, it's the type of problem which could really impede our ability to continue to develop new mathematical knowledge. Peer review may and I would venture is likely to change over the next few years or decades. But as Rachel says, But I, I think there'll always have to be some kind of peer review process because that's the only way you can really, um, you know, sort of uh, verify that, that you have good research happening. So that's the story of the role editors and peer review plays in the cycle of mathematics. But before we close out, if you've been listening and wondered how it is that people get these jobs, it turns out to be pretty similar for both referees and editorial board members. I suppose the same way everybody does. You get an email from a colleague that says, hey, this area, this, this paper is somewhat closely related to yours. Would you mind reviewing it? Basically, I was just asked to be an editor. It's not unusual if you're regularly publishing papers and well-known in the, in the research community to be asked at some point to be on an editorial board. There you go. All you need to do is get good enough at mathematics and conduct enough research that when people think of an area of mathematics, they think of you. Just a nice, easy decade to a decade and a half of schooling and research, and you can do this work too. No problem, right? Well, even if you don't want to put in that time, you can still find out what happens next in the cycle of mathematics, because on the next episode of this miniseries, we're going to go on a behind-the-scenes tour of one of the places which makes it possible for us to be able to find mathematics once it's been published. Before I go, though, I really want to thank each and every listener who has ever peer-reviewed or done editorial work. The work that you do is lost in the mix so much of the time. And when it comes to mathematical research, you deserve much more credit than you get. I just wanted you to know that I appreciate and admire the work that you do. Really, thank you. And that is all the time we have for the Verify, Revise, Repeat episode of the Relatively Prime miniseries, Cycle of Mathematics. I want to thank Rachel Kuski and Ted Mahavier for all of their time and their patience. 
I also want to thank Lowercase N for the music that I am talking over right now and that you heard earlier in this episode. But most of all, I want to thank all of my patrons on Patreon. Without y'all, this show would not and could not exist. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. If you want to join them in supporting the show, head on over to patreon.com slash relprime or relprime.com slash support. And if you support the show at the bonus feed or above level, you will get access to an exclusive interview with Lance Fortnow, which discusses the peer review process in computer science and how it differs from mathematics. I also wanted to say that if you want to get in touch, leave any feedback, suggest a story, or just talk to me about mathematics, you can reach out via samuel at acmescience.com. That's really my personal email address, and I do my best to try to respond to any emails that I get. There's a couple of you I still need to get back to, but I promise that email is coming very soon. Finally, Relatively Prime is created under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike license. So if you want to be like Null Object on SoundCloud and remix an episode into some electronic music, please feel free. Just make sure to say that you got that awesome clip from Relatively Prime. Thank you for listening, and have a math week. Bye, y'all. <laughs>